Hello and welcome to the Helping Organisations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. This podcast is to provide leaders and business owners with insights, discussions and robust strategies to help their companies thrive. We'll be interviewing business leaders, owners and experts in the field of business resilience. As a consultancy, we're here to help SMEs build resilient, high-performing teams and businesses quickly so they can innovate, deliver and thrive. If you would like to build a resilient team and business that creates, innovates and delivers, then do get in touch at julianrobertsconsulting.com. Welcome to Helping Organisations Thrive. Uh, today, I have uh, Julian Harwood on the show. Uh, welcome and morning to you, Julian. Morning, Julian. Good morning to see you. Good to see you. I'm just going to tell the audience a little bit about you. Uh, you are the co-founder of Busworks, although you've just recently sold that, but we'll, we'll talk a bit more about that later. Um, your, your, so your career spans over 40 years, and uh, you are, I would say you are, you are a a visionary and a pioneer and that's what we're talking a bit more about today about being a visionary leader because back in the, the 1970s you undertook a mammoth task of converting a an abandoned victorian bus factory uh, restoring it transforming it uh, with flair and imagination into a successful business hub for small businesses uh, one of the first of its kind uh, and uh, it was almost this you created this whole co-working space which is quite a popular thing nowadays and it was a, a bold and courageous move and the one that earned you Business Woman of the Year Award, uh, presented to you by the late Margaret Thatcher. Uh, you still have businesses. You still got um, uh, Forum House in Chichester and the Needlemakers in Lewis as well, which you continue to work on and continue to grow. And we will be talking about uh, and exploring uh, visionary leadership and how that's worked out for you in your business and understand a bit more about you. But be- before we get into that, I would really like to know um, uh, what you love about what you do, Gillian? Oh, well, my face always lights up when people ask me that question. Um, I'm one of those lucky people that's always wanted to get up in the morning and get to work because um, I think to a certain extent, my work has really given meaning to my whole life because I actually love what I do. Um, I love the creativity of it. I like the fact that it's transformational in very many ways of people and of places and of buildings. And um, I love the variety of it. Uh, Every day comes up with different questions, sometimes problems, sometimes they're practical, sometimes they're philosophical, sometimes they're financial. And I'm constantly problem solving. Keeps me on my toes. So you you, you obviously like a challenge, don't you? You like to sort of, uh, and it's interesting because challenges make us quite creative, don't they? Make us think differently about things. I think they do. Yes, I think that I think business is challenging generally. And I think people, particularly people who run their own businesses where they're very much, you know, in charge. Um, it, it's another aspect of creativity. You really don't get anywhere in business, in my view, without having imagination and being able to. I mean, imagination, not necessarily creative imagination per se, mm. But you can see the future. You can imagine the future. You've got to believe that there's a future in order to keep going, haven't you, in business? Absolutely. And it's interesting. I look at your your career and, and it's in some ways you can look at it and you can see, yes, you know, Julian Harwood is, is, is visionary leadership. And because you can see what you've accomplished and what you've done and with your life and with your businesses. But I want us to take us back to those, you know, 40 odd years ago, when it all started, um, when you had 
from scratch. That that almost that bit of the nothingness when things start. There is nothing there, is there? And I want I want us to get an understanding of what did you see? What 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 was it about when you took on that that sort of Victorian uh, bus factory? What was it? And uh, what, what what got you the idea? What what was the inspiration? Because you were doing something incredibly pioneering at that time. Well, actually, that the bus works was my third building and by far the biggest. I started off on my own um, in a little burnt out factory in North London, which I'd sort of inherited. And um, I inherited it, but in the worst possible way, with all the problems of a building that's not been insured, been burnt out, been occupied by a company that hadn't paid its rent, hadn't done anything to um, and. Um, unaware that I was starting on my new life because at the time I had two young children and I was at home running a sort of big house full of students. I had student lodgers. I cooked all their meals for them and made their beds and everything and I had about five of them in my house. And one day there was a knock on the door and it was a bailiff who handed me a brown paper envelope and said, um, I'm come to, <laughs> to take your house away. Oh, my goodness. What's all this about? And he said, well, you owe the bank some money. And I said, well, which bank? And they, he said, that West Bank, as it happened. And I said, well, that's not my bank. Um, I think that's my partner's bank. And what had happened was that my partner had pledged my house against business loan um, where he had occupied this building in North London. And he had not filed any returns. He had done lots of bad things in business. Um, and he had forged my signature on a document uh, to uh, give the bank the security of my house. So when I say I started with nothing, I started with minus because I also inherited in those days, this was the mid 70s, um, a debt of 12,000 pounds, which, you know, must be 10, at least 10, 10 times that amount mm. now um, with no way to go. And um, I just have no idea how I came to succeed, but I had this idea, what do I do with a burnt out little factory? What can I do with it? Um, and then I suddenly came into my head that I could turn it into bed sitters like my house for businesses. And that's what I did. I started the whole concept of shared workspace, you hear it now, started with the concept of bed sitters for businesses. Bedsitters um, for businesses, I like that. That's yeah. a really interesting one. Um, and that's that's really um, how I started. I haven't any idea, looking back, how within the six-week period the bank gave me six weeks to come up with the money. I was very successful in writing letters to bank chairman in those days to tell them that their minions weren't doing what they should be doing and that they should be listening to me rather than telling me, no, you can't borrow money. And uh, particularly with NatWest, they didn't immediately uh, foreclose, you know, take my house away. They gave me six weeks to come up with a solution. And in six weeks, somehow I managed to, to uh, sort out enough to find another bank that would lend me not just the £12,000, but another 30000 in order to do up the building. I just have, it was lucky I had a house in the first instance, which I could um, mortgage. I remortgaged my house five times over the period of time of setting up my business. Each time I needed to go up another notch. Thank goodness the value of the house had gone up and there was always a bit of spare equity which I could uh, mm. put down. Now, of course, banks are very reluctant to do that because they really don't like 
taking houses away from people. No, they don't like doing the sort of personal side of things, do they? That's, that's, that's yeah. quite a, an important yeah. thing. So, so obviously, you came up with this concept, this bed sitters for businesses, which I think is a, it's a great um, uh, phrase. Um, what, what, what was it that you saw that as an opportunity? Because, you know, it's, it's easy for us to say now, oh, that's an obvious thing, Julian, to do. But we're now 40 years on. Then there was nothing, I don't think, I'm not, I was alive, but I was very small. Um, um, there was nothing I'm aware of that was like that, was there? Um, well, I didn't think there was at the time. Um, it just seemed sensible to me. I mean, I had already run small businesses. I'd had um, an antique uh, business. I had two uh, two stalls in two different uh, antique markets, which gave me the idea of just, you know, when you have a stall in an antique market, you just sign a bit of paper, one side of A4, um, I'll pay you so much a week and I'll be here for six months or something. And then at the end of six months, if I don't like it, I can go. So I combined that very much into my idea that I would do the same thing. I don't know. I think there was a stirring in, you know, the early 70s was at the time of the uh, real crisis with the oil crisis and the secondary banking crisis and the three-day week and all those terrible things that people like you read about now, but I actually mm. lived through them. And somehow a bit like, you know, after the, uh, the asteroid struck, um, this is another of the things I always say. I was a small, furry mammal. You know, they say the asteroid came and it knocked out all the dinosaurs, but that gave the chance for the small, furry mammal. And it seemed to me that the small, furry mammals were small businesses, which were just mm. beginning to stir. And people were beginning to say, hey, I don't want to work for a big organization nine to five anymore. I've got an idea. And um, so I don't know how I knew about that, but... Uh, it just seemed logical that there would be those f small fairy mammals around, and uh, so it uh, so it transpired. So obviously, you had this. Uh, I say probably more now this sort of sense of a vision of of what it could do. Did you, did you see? Did you in your head see something quite big, or was it just you, it's where you were at at the moment at that time? Did it you see anything bigger? Absolutely not. I absolutely thought, my God, if I can get this little building, which was about, I think you know, probably only 5,000 square feet or something. If I can get this off the ground, and I, uh, at that time, my my partner was an accountant, so he could actually do a uh, cash flow forecast, which I'd never heard of. And I thought, my goodness, if this all works out and I can rent the space at sort of £4.50 a square foot or whatever, in about 10 years' time, I might actually sort of be able to take some money out of this business, but at least I'll have rescued everything. And of course, it, it it took me totally by surprise that the first building was as successful as it was. And it was almost before I'd finished the first one that I, I saw the second building. Um, I saw some chaps climbing up a ladder, putting a to let sign on yet another lovely old Victorian wreck just off the Charing Cross Road in London. And I thought, oh, that looks like a lovely building. Maybe I could do the same thing there. <laughs> and um, so I went, I, I mean, I won't, can't bore you with all the times I went to the bank to try and raise money and how many bank different banks I went to and how patronizing mm. they were in the 70s. Of course, it was really tough if you're a woman um, to, to do anything. I mean, when I tried to, when I had my house and wanted to buy a fridge and a washing machine, and I wanted to buy them on higher purchase from Arding and Hobbs, the famous Arding and Hobbs at Clapham Junction. They said, oh, 
right, well, we better get your husband in then, haven't we, to sign your all the documentation? <laughs> terrible. And I said, well, I haven't got a husband. Oh, well, well, we'd better speak to the general manager then. So we went up to the management floor at Harding and Hall, <laughs> and he had the forms out on it. And I said, could I have a look at the forms? And he didn't say anything about husbands at all. The word was householder. Mm, thank goodness things have changed, eh? I'm a householder. So, um, I, you know, he said, oh, well, never done this before, but all right, then you can sign. <laughs> so there you are. I was a pioneer in getting hair purchase from Harding and Hobbs as well. Yeah, and it sounds like your you, obviously your business started probably out of necessity, wasn't it? You, you had this, you know, bailiff at the door, and you yeah. had to do something. You had a potential opportunity. You got an idea, you got some insight, which obviously is the which is great. And it was started out of necessity, and probably didn't. And I guess, and I and I know a lot of people in the last eighteen months because of COVID impact are also starting businesses initially perhaps out of necessity. They see an opportunity, but actually is they're being forced to. And actually sometimes being pushed to do something can be an impetus and propel you forward, can't it? It can actually be a – at the time, obviously, it wasn't great. But actually, if you look back, that um, challenge, that adversity has got to you where you are today Along in some ways, hasn't it? Absolutely. I can't believe that I would have ever done very much more than I did have a gardening business as well. You know, business is in my bones a bit. <laughs> it but, sounds like it. <laughs> but my, I come from a background of sort of small retailers. So, uh, you know, women have always worked in my family. So I'm not, I was not, it, certainly not pioneering from my own point of view in that respect. Um, I don't know. I think that being forced into business is, I don't know how you can just sit around and conjure up a business idea. You have to learn from something else. Something leads from something else. And it's a bit like, you know, if you're a painter or a writer, you still pick up ideas from somewhere else. You can't, it's very difficult to actually ex think that you can invent a business in a vacuum. You certainly can't. No. You can learn a lot from mistakes that other businesses have made. I mean, when people are young, I say, look, you know, the very best thing you can do is go and work for somebody else first learn by their mistakes, learn how mm. businesses work, learn about profit and loss, learn about the real fundamentals, you know, what is an invoice, um, <laughs> uh, the importance of the first telephone call, the importance of if in those days when you were writing letters that you had really well-designed uh, letter heading, even mm. though you were working from a scruffy house in Wandsworth, um, mm -hmm. pretend that you're not. Um, you know, there are certain things that are important, but... Uh, I don't know how you would start from absolute clean, clear scratch. I, I take my hat off to all these young people. I actually wonder what they're doing on their computers when they're sitting in coffee shops. <laughs> <laughs> what is their business? I often, I, I, I'm, I'm, I was in a, I was in a, a co-working space yesterday with a client. Uh, they're, 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 that's where they are. And I was doing a, a day with them. And I was wandering around as you go get food and, you know, go outside and stuff. And lots of people there all on the laptops doing stuff and having calls of people. And and, it, and I, I'm just nosy. I always like, well, what do you do? I just, I'm just curious to see what they're, what they're up to and, you know, what, what, what sort of business are they doing? And it's, and it's quite a nice hub of activity and it, a nice atmosphere to it. You can see why they're becoming quite a popular thing, you know, yeah. over the years because it's a good way of taking you from your you know, your bedroom, so to speak, into a space where you can sort of be with other people and feel a bit more feels proper, doesn't it, like a business then, doesn't it? 
Yes. Well, I, I think, you know, working on your own, I mean, another thing that I love about my business is the team. I like being part of a small team, mm. uh, leading a small team. Um, I get terribly bored if I had to just work totally alone. It wouldn't work for me at all. I find that, you know, that is quite uh, quite difficult to understand how people do feel quite happy to uh, to work on their own completely. So over the years, so yeah, so sorry, over the years, you, you've obviously, you know, you've your business sort of was launched or came out of almost necessity, but with a sense of insight, and you got on and you start to acquire other other buildings. How did you, I suppose, there still would have been challenges, they just perhaps got bigger in some sense along the way, and then you had people with you, you had a team of people, because obviously sometimes doing things on your own or just yourself impacting is some sense easier because you, you just got yourself to think about and you just got to get yourself up and going motivated how to work get around this but how did you navigate some of those challenges and, you, and just perhaps bring up one or two of those with your team because it's it's harder isn't it when they're not totally perhaps aware of perhaps your vision or aware of what you've been through to keep, take people with you sometimes is it so i was wondering how you've done that over the years well, it, I think people, you know, my business sort of hit buffers as it grew. And then the major thing that I can't do are accounts. You know, I've never learned how to do um, accountancy. So um, we muddled along um, for a long time. And I did realize that I needed professional help. And that was uh, so that in fact, now I've sold my business and I've I've still got my other business, but all my lovely team went with the the, the business that I've sold. The only thing that was really panicking me was help, help, where do I find a financial controller to help me run my new business? And uh, luckily, um, one of my dear, well, my operations director, she secretly rang somebody who had worked for us eight years ago, but who'd left to join the church. And as it happened, he had been praying because he was realizing that he wasn't making enough money for some means of making more money so he could educate his children. Mm. And my call came for him as a sort of a guardian angel <laughs> coming to help his mm. problem. And he has come back to help me with mine. All okay. the other things in business I can manage. So it's only when I've realized that with more than one building, obviously you can't physically be in the same place. So you've got to then mm. ask somebody to be in the other one to look after it. And I've always been very lucky with staff. They've sort of come to me. I haven't advertised for them. Mm. Very often I've helped them out of actually looking back on it almost entirely, help people out of a problem. Somebody, mm. maybe one of the people in the building has said, I've got a wonderful client and she's, you know, she's just been widowed and she's just the sort of person that you might get on with. That sort of thing, you know rather than actually putting an ad in and trying to find somebody. Mm. Uh, so we've grown the team and we've all known each other and people have worked for me for more than 20 years. So it's more a family than a team. Yeah, and, and, and I think there's something in that, isn't there? And, and, and perhaps you're, you know, you just, you're an individual who just gets on with it and, um, and, it's, and it's great to see and you're incredibly successful. But obviously you're doing something that's nurturing people and the fact that people stay with you for a long time it's, which is incredible in terms of loyalty they're not they're sticking around for something more than just the money because uh, it, it 
life and jobs is more than just the money. It's the people you're with, the bosses you work for. So is there any thoughts of how you've nurtured? How, have you sort of intentionally done that or that's just sort of happened or have you learned things that made you think differently about things? I think it's my style. I think um, if I trust people, then I, you know, it takes a lot to get me to trust people. But when I do, then I, I pretty well trust them implicitly. And if I can see that they're competent, then I give them autonomy. And I think that when I talk to people, and, you know, my, I talk to them all the time. God, you've been here for 20 odd years. Why? Well, it's because when I wake up in the morning, I just can't wait to get into work, they say. And they say, you know, um, it's my business. They feel it's their business rather than anybody else's business because they know that they are really important and they know where they fit in and that I'm not going to, uh, you know, if there is ever an issue, it's usually my fault. I'm more than happy to admit that I have failings. Um, if people don't understand something, then it's because I probably haven't explained it to them properly. But on the whole, I mean, it's like in personal relationships. I don't like arguments. So I like to be able to uh, to uh, talk about things openly, frankly, and um, sort of somehow bring people along with me. Mm. Uh, I asked my children, you know, I'd say, was I a terrible mother? Because I used to shout at them and I was tired and ratty. <laughs> and they say, no, 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 we don't remember any of the shouting. But what we do remember, Mummy, was that we never wanted to disappoint you. Wow, interesting. Well, I don't know whether that, I mean, in a way that sounds rather ghastly, but I think that's that's what my staff feel as well. They want to give well, me their Well, best. it's interesting. You, you said, uh, I think we don't want to, I don't want to gloss over this. You said something, you said that you, when you make a mistake, you admit you're wrong. You also said if somebody didn't understand something, I, I, you say, oh, perhaps I, I didn't communicate it properly. And so, that's an interesting point on leadership because that's you being a self-aware, but also being open and transparent, being completely humble and also putting the onus on you. Cause often I think leaders will go, well, I communicated to you and they don't recognize actually perhaps I didn't communicate it in a well way that was effective, but actually you're having that approach, which is probably why you're nurturing such um, teams that people feel like a family around you. Yeah, I think I think it probably is. I do treat it a little bit like a family, but by the, but also, you know, everybody has got a common goal. Funnily enough, although you know what we do has an element of, um, of uh, sort of regeneration in terms of building, doing buildings in very down at heel areas, trying to bring jobs and and, and um, employment into bad areas, and we we also try very much and help school leavers, we usually try and take very junior people in at the very beginning, say working on reception, which is a very responsible job. I mean, it's almost the most responsible job in a business, the receptionist. Mm. Um, but, you know, with help, it gives them terrific self-confidence very quickly. And then they can sort of develop and grow much more on the management side. So I think, you know, I do feel that it's that, that companies should be more responsible. I think that finally the world is catching up with the way that I've always managed people. Mm. I think it's we're not profit driven, except that I can't bear things not to make a profit. There's no point in working in a business if it can't wash its face at least. No. And 
So people know that, but they know also that it's not just about the bottom line. You no. know, really it isn't. Um, and I think there are there are lots of things that are going on in the world at the moment which are completely alien to the way that things should be done. Uh, you know, this taking of not taking of responsibility from the very top being the most important that's mm. missing terrifically, I feel, at the moment where we are in this country. No, and, and it's interesting that your 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 view and on your on leadership and is 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 done by how you've acted in the last forty odd years in terms of how you built your business, and it's a you know a testament to how you you're operating. So, uh, I think there's some important lessons. And just thinking of some lessons, if if there's somebody out there who might be working in an organisation right now. Um, and has like a, like a pipe dream of starting a business or a little inkling of an idea. So what, what advice would you give them in terms of how they go about that? What sort of one or two things they need to think about? Well, it's awfully difficult because, you know, this is where I've, I think, gosh, if I was just sitting twiddling my thumbs, had been 30 years ago, where, where would I have started? But um, I think you really do need to learn from your own experience and build on things that you've seen, either that are a success or things that are a great failure that you think, well, I could do better than that. Or um, I think you don't need to worry too much about the sort of things that business manuals always tell you about, which is doing market research and doing all of this. You, to a certain extent, you do have to depend on intuition. You can go mad thinking whether... Um, you know, you're going to have customers or not. You've got to believe in your own product or your mm. own ideas. And then to a certain extent, it's the old mousetrap thing. You know, if you build a better mousetrap, people will come to you. Um, that if you've got a better idea, then, um, but if you're enthusiastic and love your business, other people will too, because you'll be mm. able to talk about it with such integrity. You really, and again, there will be people who poo-poo me, but integrity and honesty. Mm. so important um, to build up trust with suppliers, not just your customers as well. You do have to build up a very good supplier base because then you can rely on them when things go disastrously wrong. Mm. You can call on them and they'll drop everything to come and help you or supply you or whatever it is. It, it, it's, built, it's teamwork all along. Um, mm. I think you can't do things on your own. No, and it's it's because you mentioned that, that belief, and that that's that's a real big thing, isn't it? I think if you you've got to believe in your idea, you've got to believe in what you're trying to achieve, because if you don't believe it, um, nobody else will believe you it. Anywhere, and, and you get and that's a, and that enthusiasm of belief actually is quite contagious. And I think not. I'm not talking being fake. Not talking about you know forcing it, but you've got to believe it, and and then that's when you engage, whether you engage with clients, investors those around you they feel that belief and i think they'll, they'll be with you on that and that, that, that that's really important isn't it belief very well it's essential i mean how can you work in something you don't believe in a lot of people work in big firms i understand you know where they're really not that they probably don't believe in what the company does they may believe mm. in their department and they, they're faithful to their little area of the business but they may well not be that happy about the whole thing but yes, if you're running your own business or starting a business, absolutely essential. It's fundamental. Yeah. So, so now you've sold uh, this business. I know you still have other businesses. But what what does the future hold for you, Gillian? 
Well, I'm hoping that it's got quite a few years, although you can probably see that I'm not as not a spring chicken. So I mean, what is good is that at my age, I do actually still think about the future and I am still excited. Mm. So I think um, it's certainly true that because my big business, Busworks, uh, took up a lot of the time and particularly over the last few years trying to get it through COVID, um, the, we've sort of uh, let one or two of the other places sort of rest on their laurels. And um, I think that I'm uh, now going to be able to focus on on businesses that I've sort of just rather left to, to their own devices and um, try and bring some new ideas. I'd like to um, consciously uh, work on a building in Chichester to make it, to, it needs retrofitting, to make it absolutely, you know, as sort of to see how feasible it is to buy all these new materials that everybody bangs on about, but that normally are either out of stock or very expensive, mm. you know, the all the eco materials and um, and not get swept away by the builder saying, look, we'll never get this job finished unless we use X, Y, and Z. And you think, oh gosh, yes, we've got to go back to using sort of, you know, the plastics and this and that because they're available. So that's, I'm quite excited about that whole concept now of mm. doing some eco refitting. And then of course, it's my projects up in Great Yarmouth um, that I'll be also being able to get back to after COVID because uh, I haven't been able to travel up there very much and um, see whether there are, you know, pro I've got the projects, but what I need now to inspire people to come and work in them. I'm doing, doing up lovely old buildings, rescuing them, which is what I love doing. But I also don't want them to just sit empty, um, making business space. And I'm hoping to find aspiring young people, even in a left behind town like Great Yarmouth, which is notoriously uh, uh, renowned for lack of endeavour and get up and go. And, uh, you know, that's what I'm going to be trying to do. I'm getting into trouble up there a bit with the local authority because I think some of the things they're doing are a bit, a bit old-fashioned and not, not ambitious and enough. So. Well, it's great. It's great to hear that you're still got that pioneering spirit about you. You've still got lots of energy. Uh, you're not stopping. Um, you're, you know, you know, doing great stuff in Great Yarmouth, doing a uh, revitalising it and honing it for helping businesses and therefore communities and, and create wealth in the, in the area. Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, it's been really great to speak to you today, um, Gillian. I really have appreciated it. Uh, I value your experience, value what you've done. Uh, I think you've done a great uh, uh, role. You're a great role model in, in business and how you go about it, not just in the business sense, but also in the sense how you deal with people, which I think is really important and it's really valuable lessons there. Um, if people want to, get in touch with you, connect with you, uh, find out more about what you're doing, particularly in Great Yarmouth. How can they do that? Well, they can um, go on to LinkedIn and see me on LinkedIn. They can contact me. My company is Lewis Workspace Limited, which is, you can just Google it. And um, and I'm uh, available to anybody who is, might be interested. And particularly, you know, if young people want to have, get back to me and say, well, you know, I've got this idea. What do you think? I'm, I'm open to having, having uh, conversations with people. So just get in touch with Lewis Workspace Limited and ask for Gillian and you'll find me. And it's L-E-W-E-S, Lewis in South. Excellent. 
I will put those in the, the show notes as well, so that'll be how people can get in touch thank with you. you. Uh, thank you for your time, Gillian, and uh, appreciate that. Thank you, Gillian. Nice to see you. If you like this episode, then please do rate, review, and share with your friends and colleagues. As a consultancy, we help SMEs build resilient, high-performing teams and businesses quickly so they can innovate, deliver, and thrive. If you'd like to build a resilient team and business that creates, innovates, and delivers, then do get in touch at julianrobertsconsulting.com.